Hello, everyone. Welcome to Summit Church Fenton Online. I'm so glad you joined me today, and I look forward to sharing the Word of God with you. Over the past many weeks, I've been conducting a series on the subject of prayer. And uh, if you've missed any of those sessions, I would like to invite you to go back into our archives. And uh, it's all there for you. You can catch up on anything that you've missed. Uh, And today, I'm going to conclude this series. And then uh, next week, as we're drawing near to Thanksgiving, my wife and I are going to... uh, conduct a communion service here and uh, we'd like to invite you to join us and we'll be receiving the the bread and the juice and uh, saying some things about communion and some things about thankfulness and so then that'll be next week and uh, and then uh, so have your juice and your bread ready to go and uh, then after that um, uh, I'm going to take some time off until uh, right after the first of of the year and uh, come back as we move right into the beginning of 2024 and we'll pick back up teaching then but I'm going to take take some take the holiday season Christmas season take some time off and uh, now my wife and I we will have a Christmas greeting for you like we do every year that'll probably come out on Christmas Eve but uh, but other than that teach today finish up the prayer series, then next week a, a communion uh, a service, and then take some time off, and then come back after the first of the year. So with that being said, let's, uh, let's conclude this series on prayer. Uh, I'm, I'm titling this today, Prayer, the Way to Draw Near to God. Prayer is the way to draw near to God. You know, the Bible says if we'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. And prayer is the way that you draw near to God. And I'm going to show you that today. By uh, Actually, we're going to go back into the Old Testament and we're going to look at uh, the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to build. And uh, sometimes it's known as the tent tabernacle. And actually, that was patterned after the real tabernacle that's in heaven. And uh, uh, and so we're going to look at that today. And I'm going to use New Testament uh, scriptures to uh, to go through the Old Testament tabernacle and, and show you how that illustrates many different things, as we'll see. But ultimately, for our purpose today, it will will show us how prayer brings us right up and into the presence of Almighty God. Now, unfortunately, I'm not set up here where I can show you a picture of the tent tabernacle and 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 all of that. I just I don't have that capability at this time. When I taught this over the years. Uh, when we were on site there at Summit Christian Church on New Sugar Creek Road, I'd have the picture of the tent tabernacle and all of that up on the on the projection screens, and and it was it was a lot easier to teach. You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. But if you uh, if you would like, you could put me on pause real fast and Google uh, Moses's tent tabernacle, and and it'll pop up a picture of that for you. And, uh, and you might want to get that and have that and then turn me back on and then you could refer to that 
as we go through this uh, uh, session today. I'll do my best to explain it verbally. I just don't have the capability to show it in picture form. So uh, with that being said, if you were to go into the in, into the days of the Old Testament when Moses and the Israelites were, you know, in, in the wilderness there for those 40 years and you were able to look at how they would uh, set up their camp. And uh, if if you were able to go up into like a, a helicopter or look down with a satellite, let's just say you were able to look down from a satellite at that time. It's interesting that the way God instructed Israel to set up their camp, if you were to look down upon it from a satellite, it was in the shape of a cross. The shape of a cross. Did you know that just about everything in the Old Testament, just, I mean, just about everything, one way or another points to, to Jesus Christ and, 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 you know, to him and him being crucified and raised from the dead. I mean, I mean, he's, Jesus is all through the Old Testament. But when you, if you were to look at the way the Israelites set up their camp, it was in the shape of a cross. And then if you looked in further, if you were able to magnify in further from the satellite, right where the cross intersected, right at the point of intersection, that is where they uh, constructed the tabernacle, the, the, what's known as the tent tabernacle. And, uh, uh, what that was, and if you, you know, if you Googled it and looked up a picture of it, uh, it was a rectangular fence. It was a rectangular fence. And, and that was set up. And, and, and we could take hours and hours with this and look at each, each, each piece and each, each facet of this tabernacle and spend weeks on it and everything points to Jesus it really does but just for the sake of this because we're showing you how prayer will draw you close to the Lord uh, uh, and, and to the power of God but it was a rectangle the, the tent tabernacle there was a, there was a, a rectangular fence that was constructed right again if you're looking down from a satellite right where the cross you because know, you had the the Israelite camp set up and it was in the shape of a cross and right where the cross the the beams of the cross intersected right there you had the uh, you had this this tent tabernacle and what you would see is is a, a rectangular fence uh, uh you know made out of like a cloth like material um, and, and again, we could get in and talk about the material and what, what it was constructed of and all of that. Take hours to do it, but it, I tell you what, it, it, it's fascinating because like I said, all of it points to Jesus. But be that as it may, uh, you have that rectangular fence. And outside the fence was where the, the, you know, the camps, the different tribes of Israel were camped. And uh, so you'd have that rectangular fence. And this fence had an entry gate. And then inside the fence, you would, as you came in through that gate, all right, there's only one gate. And as you came inside that gate, there was a, uh, there, there was an altar where animals were sacrificed and, and the blood of the animals would flow. And then as you moved on past uh, that altar, there was a, Laver, sometimes it's called the brazen or the bronze laver, and in that was was water, 
We'll talk about these more in depth here as we go. And that was known as the outer court. And then as you move past that laver, there was a tent set up, a tent. Uh, and you can see it if you get a picture of it. There was a tent set up, tent, T-E-N-T, a tent set up. And, uh, and, and before you went in the tent, that outer area there was known as the outer court. And then when you went inside, there was an opening to that tent and then if you go past you have the the the, the altar where the the blood the animal the, the blood of the animals you know the animals were sacrificed you have the blood there and past that that laver that's where the water was and then and then then there was an opening and you'd go into that tent from that outer court you'd go into that tent and what you would find on one side there was a lamp stand or a candlestick Okay, uh, um, uh, we'll talk about that. And then on the other side, there was a table of, of showbread. And then beyond that was the incense altar, the incense altar. And, and you want to pay a special attention to that because that's where this, this message today is leading to, the incense altar. It will show you how prayer brings you into the presence of God. And so the incense altar, and then beyond the incense altar, there was another veil and, and, and where the lampstand was located and the showbread table and then that incense altar, um, that was known as the holy place. And then once past the incense altar, there was another opening and then once inside there, that was called the uh, Holy of Holies. And that's where the uh, Ark of the Covenant was, uh, was located. And, you know, which, which had the mercy seat on it and all of that with the cherubim and so forth. And, uh, <laughs> and that's where the power of God was. And that's where the high priest once a year would go in on the Day of Atonement and all of that. And you, you could study up on all of that. But uh, that was a holy place. And you had to be very watchful. That high priest, when he went in there, he had to be very watchful. He had to approach approach that very carefully, that holy of holies in the Ark of the Covenant. Because if he didn't, he would, he would uh, fall down dead. And in fact, they would tie a rope to him and he had, they, he, he wore bells on his garment. And if the people out in that, outside the Holy of Holies heard the, heard the bells not jingling, they knew he'd fallen dead there in the presence of God, which means he didn't enter properly and approach God properly. You know, I might say at this time, I, I think it's a good point. Uh, so much of the church world that I'm aware of has just lost a healthy reverence for Almighty God and for His house. Um, you know, uh, I'm pastoring for almost three decades and, and watching, uh, and I noticed it over the years as time went on. Uh, we started Summit Ch a Christian Church in 1994, but as years came and went, I noticed, and it wasn't just in our church, but I noticed it throughout the, throughout what I was aware of throughout the United States, uh, just a, a looseness and a lackadaisicalness about the way Christians approached God and the way they came to church and the way they treated church. And, and, uh, you know, 
I mean, it, it just, it got to the point when I, when we started the church in 1994 and then, you know, people, people would wear, men would wear suits and ties to church. And by the time some 30 years had come and gone, a lot of folks were coming to church. Men were coming to church, looking like they were dressed, you know, like they just rolled out of bed and were running down to Walmart to pick up something, you know. That's how they approached God. And uh, and women, you know, too. I mean, just... And again, I don't like looking at people the way they dress or putting people down for the way they dress or anything like that. But you know as well as I do, if you got invited to the White House, <laughs> you wouldn't go to the White House to meet the President of the United States uh, <laughs> dress like you're going to Walmart, you know, or to the beach. But yet we see that in, in the churches and so many of the churches in the United States, a looseness, a lackadaisicalness about the way we approach God. I tell you what, God is holy and, and he is to be approached reverently. And, uh, uh, you don't just slop hop up around God and just hop bob in there and, and just approach him any way you want. He's, he's almighty God. Yes, if we're born again, he's our heavenly father, but he's also my almighty God. And you gotta be, you, you, you need to be watchful and, and reverent in the way you approach him. And so much I could say about that. But as, as, so you start with the gate and then you'd come to the altar where the, the blood was shed and then you'd go to the laver where the water was. And then beyond that, you'd enter the tent. Or I'm sorry, you'd come in the you'd come in the gate. If you had a picture, this would be a lot clearer. But you'd come in the gate inside that fence, and then there was the altar where the blood was, and then on beyond that was the laver. That was the outer court. Then you'd go through that first veil into the holy place, and there you had the showbread, the uh, the, the lampstand or the candlestick on one side, the showbread on the other. Then beyond that, you had the incense altar. And then there was another opening and then beyond that into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah, the glory, the power of God was at. Okay. And so, so there you have the tent tabernacle as good as I can do it in, in words <laughs> without pictures. Now, if you went to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and you read the first like five verses there, the, the, Book of Hebrews makes reference to some of these these uh, things that I had mentioned to you, and I'd recommend you read that. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but but it's found there in Hebrews the ninth chapter, the first five verses. Now, not everything I just told you is is in those verses, but but much of what I've said. But for the sake of time, you can read that, and let's actually now get into into what I want to get at here in this in this study. So. For the purposes of this study, now listen, this is fascinating what I'm about to go through as it pertains to this tent tabernacle and, and, and how we see that prayer leads us right up to the presence of God. But now for the purposes of this study, now just for the purposes of this study, if you have a picture there of that tent tabernacle and you see that rectangular fence, um, for the purposes of this study, we're going to just say that everybody that's outside of that fence is is lost. They're 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 not saved. They're not born again. They're lost. Okay. For the purposes of this study, everybody outside that that fence is lost. So you got to get inside that fence to be saved, to miss hell, and to make heaven when you die. You got to get inside that fence. Okay. You got to you got to get inside that fence. All right. 
Uh, you got to, and remember the Old Testament are types and shadows of what we actually live in here under the, the new, the new covenant in the New Testament. So this is a wonderful picture of how somebody can get, get saved, miss hell, make heaven and, and live their life here on the earth in the presence of God and in the power of God. So listen carefully. But so for this study, if you're outside that fence, you're lost and undone without Jesus and on your way to hell. So you got to get inside that fence. And the way to get inside that fence was to go through, through that gate. You had to get through that gate. Now, with that gate in mind, go to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and notice the Bible says, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or unto maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Now underline that word repentance and then that word faith, repentance and faith. Now that was Hebrews 6, 1. And then I want you to think about uh, the first words that came out of Jesus's mouth when he began his public ministry here upon the earth, the words that, that as he begins his public ministry, he begins to declare this, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. Hebrews 6, 1 says, re, talks about repentance and faith. Now, faith and believing, faith, believing from your heart, faith and believing from your heart, it's the same thing. So you see that the book of Hebrews talks about repentance and faith. And then Jesus, the Lord himself, talks about repentance and, and believing the gospel, believing the good news, believing, uh, uh, you know, repentance and faith. And, and, and how does that repentance and faith uh, have to do, what does that have to do with this tent tabernacle? Well, that gate, now remember we said you got to get inside that, you got to get inside that rectangular fence to miss hell and to make heaven. And so you got to get you got to get through that gate. Now that gate is is uh, it's a gate of repentance. That's what that gate symbolizes. It it's symbolizes repentance. And it was a beautiful gate. If you were to study if we had the time just to study the gate, it was a beautiful beautiful gate. And that's symbolic of the goodness of God. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And so it was a beautiful gate and people would look at that gate and be drawn to it. You know, as I've preached the goodness of God over the years, the goodness of God, when people hear how good God is, so many of them want, want, want the Lord. They want to receive Jesus because see, it's, and they want to repent. It's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. See, you have to come to a point of repentance before before faith in Jesus will be, will, 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 will do you any good. So many people, and this is a dangerous thing. So many people want to just, you know, so many preachers in the land and a lot of them on television, they preach, well, just, just, just believe, just, just believe, believe, believe in God. Well, what does that mean? That does not mean just mentally accept that God exists. The Bible says the devil and demons believe that God exists. That won't get you saved. But they'll preach, well, ha ha have faith, and certainly faith saves us. But as you really study the Bible, before you could have 
true Bible faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to come to a place of repentance. I, I listened to some of the old Billy Graham messages that he preached over the many decades. And I tell you what, right at the end, he wouldn't call people to just believe on Jesus. He'd call people to repent, believe on Jesus, receive Jesus, believe on him, and then serve Jesus the rest of your life. And so this gate indicates in this tabernacle, repentance, true Bible repentance, where it was a beautiful gate, it drew people to it, the goodness of God leads us to repentance, but, but repentance has to be active in our life. We have, repentance has to be experienced. We, we have to, we have to repent is what I'm trying to say before we can place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really going to activate the new birth. And again, that's not preached uh, as it should be, in my opinion, particularly over a lot of media outlets that you'll you'll watch preachers come on there and then right at the end say, well, believe, just, just pray this little prayer, believe that everything will be okay. <laughs> you got to re- you got to repent and you got to realize that you're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to serve him the rest of your life to really get saved. And uh, but but this gate was a, a beautiful gate, a gate of repentance. And you have to come, the only, the only way to get saved, you have to repent. That's where it starts. Repentance. That means, that just means having a change of heart or a change of mind. Okay. A change of life that your life is going to change and you're going to live for God now, you see. And, uh, and also I might note on this tent tabernacle to get, to get inside that fence, there was one, uh, there, there, there was, the gate was a gate of repentance, but I want to emphasize this. There was only one gate. There's only one, only one gate. There was not multiple gates. There was only one gate. And, uh, uh, and you know, there's only one way to get saved, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? You need to understand that. There's only one way to get saved, and that's through faith in Jesus. Yes, repentance, but Jesus, you know, Jesus said in John 10, verse 9 in the NIV, he said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. See, there was only one gate to get inside that fence on that tent tabernacle. There's <laughs> only one way. <laughs> one gate, only one. Some people will say, well, there's many ways to get to heaven. You know, many roads, they all lead to heaven. That's a lie from a, that's a, that's a lie of the devil right there. Absolutely. Don't you ever believe that there's many roads to heaven? There's many different ways to get to heaven. Absolutely not. There's only one way. And it's, his name is Jesus Christ, the virgin born son of the living God. All right. And Jesus said, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then John 14, six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. That's what he said. I believe that. And it's, I hope you do too. It's the truth. He's the only way. Matthew 7 verse 13, Jesus said, enter, enter, Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are, and there are, uh, many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So you need to remember that. But <laughs> so this gate, you got to get inside that fence. I hope you have a picture of this tent tabernacle. You got to get inside that fence. And to get inside that fence, you had to go through that one and only gate, and you do so by repenting of your sins. That's what gets you inside that gate. Is re- that gate's beautiful? Shows the goodness of God. <laughs> but 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 
symbolically what, what that gate is a gate of, it's a gate of repentance that we repent of our sins. And as we do, we get through that gate, glory to God. And I want to say this, listen to, to me, the gate was wide enough so that whosoever will could come in, okay? All right, yet it was narrow enough that there was no accidental entries, you know, you can't accidentally get saved. <laughs> Did you know that? You have to get saved on purpose. There were no accidental entries into that gate. It was an on purpose uh, action. And by the way, while I'm on it, there was no accidental exits either. A lot of times people have asked me, Pastor Terry, could I lose my salvation? Well, I tell you what, I could teach for hours on that. Maybe I will sometime. But I tell you what, it is possible to do, but it can't be done accidentally, haphazardly. And, and, and a baby Christian can't do it. But I tell you what, somebody that's matured in the things of God, they, they can't even accidentally lose their salvation. But if you want out of that gate, God, God won't keep you in there. I don't know about you, but I'm in. I don't want out, so let's just leave it at that. But you can't accidentally, you can't accidentally get walk walk in that gate. You can't accidentally get out of it. No accidental entries, no accidental exits. But it was a gate of repentance, and so as we repent of our sins, we go through that gate. But then, but then immediately once you went through that gate, immediately. Let's say that, say immediately, immediately, once through that gate, you would run in to what is, what was called the altar. Okay. And this altar was, was a place for, for sacrifice where animals were sacrificed. It's a place where they were slaughtered and the blood flowed. And that blood, that, that animals, those animals being sacrificed and the blood flowing was a type of Jesus Christ the Lamb of God dying on Calvary's cross and His blood, shedding His blood for you and me. It's interesting as you study into this altar, once through the gate, you immediately, I mean, you come in that gate, you're facing that altar. It's right there. And that was a type of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it stood raised on a mound of earth. So it was a, it was a raised area higher than the rest of the surroundings of the rest of the tent tabernacle or whatnot. And this is a picture of Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross, which stood on the hill or the mountain called Calvary. It's fascinating. It's also interesting, this altar where the animals were slaughtered was the largest of all of the other, what's known as the pieces or articles of the, of the tabernacle. And if you were to look at the size of this altar, you could fit the laver, you could fit the candlestick, you could fit the showbread table, you could fit the uh, incense altar, you could fit the Ark of the Covenant. All of those other articles could be put inside this altar, just inside that gate. Now, what is that symbolic of? Well, it, it means all blessings and aspects of the Christian's life are encompassed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ, for what he did on that cross. That's what I'm trying to say. What Jesus did for us on that cross. Thank God. Now, uh, this, this altar was inseparable from the gate. 
you had the gate and then the altar. You couldn't separate them. That's how, that's, that's how close they were together. I mean, you come in the gate, there's the altar. You can't miss it. They're inseparable. Just like I've been saying, you can't get to Christ without repentance. Okay. So this, this is a beautiful picture, this tent tabernacle, you know, uh, of someone outside the fence is lost in the world, undone without Jesus, but then they come to a place of repentance. They come through that gate and immediately they're faced with that altar, which is a type of the cross of Jesus Christ and him being crucified as the animals were brought there and, 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 and slaughtered and, and their, their, the blood flowed. Well, that is, is, as I've said, a type of Jesus dying on Calvary's cross. So, so outside that fence, we're lost and undone. We come to that beautiful gate. That's we repent. We come through the gate and immediately there's the altar type of the cross and we have faith. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when the blood of Jesus washes our sins away. Glory to God. And we're born again and we become a Christian. We could say it this way, a little mathematical formula for you. I used to be a math teacher, so I enjoy formulas. The gate plus the altar equals the new birth. The gate, which was repentance, plus the altar, which is a, a, a type of the cross and, and then faith in, in Jesus, the gate plus the altar gets you to the new birth where you get born again, you miss hell, you make heaven. So you repent, come to the cross of Christ, believe on Jesus, and you get born again. Now, with, with that being said, and listen carefully, so many Christians, now we're talking about prayer here, but I'm, I'm leading to show you how prayer brings you close to God. But I have to give you all this other stuff where we can get, get where I'm going. So, but this is fascinating. I think it'll bless you. But listen carefully. So many Christians stay in the outer court all of their lives and never do walk closely to God. Now that you ought to listen to that very carefully. You ought to back that up and I'll say it a few more times, but you ought to back it up and listen a couple of times because it's, it's so true. So many Christians, they, they repent. They believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They come through the gate. They come to the altar. They come to the cross. They get, they get saved. All right. But they spend the rest of their life. If you have a picture of it there in their, in that outer court. They never come up to the labor, much less go beyond that. They just stay in that outer court the rest of their lives. And thank God for that. They miss hell and make heaven when they die. But they never do get in on all the blessing that God had for them. So I don't want that to be the case with you. So let's move on past the altar and what comes up next. If you have the picture of it there, you'll see it's that laver or that brazen. Sometimes it's called the bronze or the brazen laver. And it was made out of, listen to this, it was made out of bronze mirrors and it contained water for washing of the priest's hands and feet before they could enter the holy place and draw nearer to God. So that labor, that labor is symbolic of the word of God. You know, the book of James compares the word of God to a mirror. You ought to look that up sometimes in the, in the book of James because it compares the word of God to a mirror. So what is that laver, that bronze laver, a type of? It's a type of the word of God. Now, if you go to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, 
Look at verse 25. We'll pick up midway in that verse. It says, Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So this so thank God for the, the, the word of God. It washes us and keeps us clean for service unto almighty God. Praise God. So the way to think of this, is, if you're taking notes, this would be good to write down. That altar where that where the uh, it's just inside the gate, that altar where the animals were slaughtered, that would be, the, the verse for that, I think a good verse for that would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But then as you move past that and you come up to the, to the laver and, and uh, a good scripture for that would be 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness righteousness you see so the altar would be like john three sixteen, where we get saved you know forgiven of our sins and and get born again and all of that you know as we repent at the gate come to the altar which is a type of the cross we get saved john three sixteen. but then let's don't stop <laughs> don't stop at the cross don't stop there you got to come by that way thank god for it but don't stop there. Don't just spend the rest of your Christian life in that outer court. But let's move on and try to <laughs> and try to get up close to the presence of God. And the way you do that is you got to get into the Word of God. You got to move on in this in this court here and move past the altar and move up and get into the Word of God. That's what that labor was a type of the Word of God. All of these pieces, as we'll see, bring us closer to the presence of God. That's what that's what this message is about. So. Let me just read from my notes here, and then I'll make some some comment. But the application for believers today is that we are forgiven through Christ's work on the cross. Now, thank God for it. Now, listen carefully. I'll read that again. The application of what I just said. Again, this labor is a type of the of the word of God. The altar is a type of the cross. The application for believers today is that we're forgiven through Christ's work on the cross. And we're washed in his blood, thank God for it, at the cross. But once we're washed in his blood, once we're saved, once we become a Christian, all right, then we need to be sanctified by being washed through his word. We need to be washed daily in his word to cleanse ourselves so that we can serve and minister before him. And that's what that labor was all about. So, you know, so again, a sinner comes to that gate and repents and comes through that gate, repentance, and then faith, that altar, faith in Jesus, what he did on the cross. And then, you know, don't stay just in that outer court, move on, head towards the presence of God and, <laughs> and, and get into the word of God. And, and, and that's what that labor was symbolic of. It was symbolic. The priests would go there and they'd wash their hands and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and it, it's symbolic of the washing of the water of the word, which we need to stay in the word of God every day to keep, to stay clean from the filth that's in the world. Okay. So, so the labor then would bring you closer 
to God and it would bring you right up out in front of that tent, okay, the tent itself. And now there's another opening. There's another opening. And it's interesting, the openings, as you look at the picture of the tent tabernacle and the, and the gate and all of that, as the openings, as you got closer to the Ark of the Covenant, the openings would get smaller as you went. So that gate of repentance was a wide gate. Whosoever will let him come. And we've talked about that. It was a wide opening. But then, you know, he'd come through the gate, altar where the blood of the animals flowed and all of that. And then you'd get in the word of God. You'd come, come to, that laver, to the laver. And that laver, see, get in the word of God. That laver would bring you right up to in front of the tent. But now that next opening was, was a smaller opening than that gate of repentance. And what that shows and is symbolic of is it's symbolic of discipline, discipline, more consecration and and dedication. You know, as well as I do, it takes consecration and, and dedication to study the word of God and read the word of God on a regular basis. So many Christians don't do that. I mean, multitudes of Christians just don't do that. About the only time they hear the word of God is when they go to church on Sunday and then they spend little to no time in the word of God until the next service that they go to. Okay. And and, and they spend their whole life in that outer court. They die one day and go to heaven because they did come through the gate. They did come to the cross of Christ and believe on him, but they never get into the word of God. But if you want to get up close to God and walk close to him, you're going to have to get into the word of God that brings you up to that, to the tent itself. And that next opening to go into that tent was, 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 was more narrow than that gate of repentance shows, uh, requires more dedication. You know, Jesus said in John eight thirty one. He said to the Jews who believed on him, see, they believe, how do you get saved? Believing on the Lord Jesus with a heart of repentance. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. See, there's a distinction between being a believer, a true believer, and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you believe on him and you get saved, but I tell you what, so many people stop there. But if, but if you want to be a disciple of his, you have to abide in his word and let his word abide in you. You have to be a reader and a studier of the word of God and one who lives by the word of God and to live by it. You have to know it. So you have to come to that labor that where the water was and, 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 and you have to be disciplined. And now you're ready to go through into the tent itself, into the holy place. And once in that holy place, now, where are we headed? We're headed up to the Ark of the Covenant. That's where we're headed. But once you come through that first veil into that holy place, on one side you had a candlestick or a lampstand, and on the other side you had a table of showbread. Now, let's talk just briefly about the lampstand, or you could call it the candlestick. Now, uh, it's also known as the menorah, but look at Revelation chapter 1. Let me read a few verses here. Uh, Revelation chapter one, I'll start with verse nine. He, he said, John says, 
I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he had been exiled there to the isle of Patmos. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. And then he lists those churches. There were seven local churches. And so you could read them. And then in verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Glory to God. Jesus appeared to him on the Isle of Patmos, gave him the book of Revelation and all of that. But then drop down to verse 20, because we're talking about this candlestick or this lampstand inside that first veil of the tabernacle. I'm trying to tell you what it's symbolic of. And look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers or the pastors, we could say, of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So this lampstand, and there wasn't seven distinct candlesticks or lampstands. Go get, look up Google menorah and look it up and you'll see how there was one lampstand, but there were like seven, seven, seven places where you could put candles and the one in the middle was exalted up above the three on either side. You could Google it and get a good picture of it. And, um, and, and so what I want you to see here is this candlestick is symbolic of the local church. You know, it's interesting, the church, and actually you study into this, this lampstand, if you went back in the Old Testament and studied it, that lampstand, that which represents the local church, that lampstand was beaten, B-E-A-T-E-N, beaten from one piece of gold. And it's interesting, the church came into existence as a result of the beating of Jesus Christ. And, and, you know, his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. There were seven stems, as you can see, if you get a picture of it. Six stems, you know, three on one side, three on the other. And that one in the middle was elevated. And the symbolism of that is Jesus is the central focus of the local church. See, local church. See, there's the church universal that all all Christians become members of when they get saved. Okay, but beyond that, everyone, God has a local church for every Christian to go to, to attend and to be a part of and to function there and volunteer there and serve there and so on and so forth. So when you get saved, we all become members of the church universal, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then beyond that, God has a local church. See, the, this candlestick is not a type of the church, the, 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 the church at large, if you will, the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, the universal church of Jesus that you become a member of when you get saved. This candlestick is an example of the local church. We're teaching you here today how to get close to God. You have to come through that gate of repentance, come to the altar and get saved then stay in the word of God, get in the word of God, stay in the word of God, discipline yourself. And then you come through that first veil into that holy place, holiness, holy place. And then that lampstand is symbolic of, of, it's symbolic of attendance and service in the local church 
where Jesus Christ is the central focus and he is exalted above everything and everyone else. Glory to God. Symbolism is something, isn't it? So you need to be a part of your local church and find out where God wants you to go and go there and stay till he tells you to leave. Too many people pick their own church. Let God pick your local church. That's where your pastor is. Let God pick that for you. You go there, you be faithful there, and don't you leave until God tells you to leave. Don't you leave because the pastor preached a message that stepped on your toes. God probably told him to preach that message to step on your toes. Don't ever attend a church where the preacher's never stepping on your toes. If you go to a church where the preacher's never stepping on your toes, you're not where God wants you. Because once in a while, the preacher ought to step on your toes. Absolutely. Now, again, he's doing it, being led by the Spirit of God. He's doing it in love and all of that. But you know what I'm talking about. A lot of Christians, they want to go. I have had people tell me, well, I won't come to your church, Pastor, because you step on our toes once in a while. And yes, you do it in love, but I don't want my toes stepped on at all. I'm so tired of dealing with those kind of people. They don't want to. They stay baby Christians all their lives, never do grow up in the things of God. My goodness. Let God pick your church. And then you go there and be a blessing to that pastor and his wife. And, you know, if he's married and or whatever the case. And, 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 and it could be a female pastor. There's nothing wrong with that. But you go there and be faithful to, to your pastor, whoever it is. If God's told you to go there, you go there and then and you be a blessing and you be supportive and you stand stand with with, with your pastor, okay? And, I mean, as long as he's not off in heresy or, you know, just off, you know, got out of whack somehow or another, but you know what I'm talking about. And there's no perfect pastor and don't, don't you know, stone him just because he made a mistake. Every pastor's made a mistake. You know what I'm talking about, but I, I've watched, I've had it happen to me where, you know, I'm up doing the best I can and misspeak something or say something you shouldn't have said or whatever. People just, you know, just act and they'll leave just because of all kinds of things. And no, you find out where God wants you to go to church and stay there and be faithful. And don't you leave until God or unless God tells you to. Okay, now I could go on and on with that. But how do you get close to God? You repent, come through the gate, go to the altar, get saved, get in the word of God. That's the labor. Then come into the holy place as you're disciplined in the word of God. <laughs> get involved in the local church. That's the lampstand. And then on the other side of the lampstand was the table of showbread. Now, I'm just going to briefly tell you that showbread represents fellowship, fellowship with God and really fellowship with fellow believers, regular fellowship in the local church, fellowship. See, the, the lampstand represents attendance and service in the local church, but that fellowship represents, I'm sorry, let me start over here. The, the candlestick represents attendance and service in the local church. That's what the candlestick represents, but the showbread table represents fellowship in the local church. Fellowship. Yes, fellowship with God and fellowship with fellow believers. Regular fellowship in the local church. Okay, then, so that's beyond just attending and serving. That's fellowshipping with, with believers and those of like faith. Okay, how do you get close to God? I'm rep, rep, I'm repetitioning, I'm repeating repetition seat of learning. So, 
Outside that fence, you're lost and undone. Come to the gate of repentance. Inside that altar, you're saved. Then you're, it has the blood, represents the blood of Jesus and faith in Him. Then you're on to the laver. As I've said, that's the Word of God. You're in the Word of God. Then beyond, you go through that first veil. And now you're, <laughs> now, now what are you doing? You're, you get involved, get involved in the local church. Find out where God wants you to go. That's the candlestick and stay there, as I've said, till God tells you to leave and attend and serve there. And then that showbread table, now you're going to fellowship and, and fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers there. Okay, and where does that bring us? Now we're in the holy place. We're headed to the holy of holies. The next thing up is that incense altar. That incense altar. Now look at Revelation 8 verse 3. Revelation 8 verse 3. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And I said all that to get to this prayer brings you to this golden altar, this altar of incense or this incense altar, which is a type of prayer. That's what we've been talking about for all these weeks. I had to say everything I said in this message to get to this prayer brings you right up in front of that, that last opening which leads into the Ark of the Covenant, which where the which, which is where the presence of God is, and that and, and by the way, that last opening was the smallest of the three: the gate, and then into the first, you know, in, in, coming into the tent itself, and then now to go into the Holy of Holies. That was the smallest opening yet. Requires more dedication, more consecration, and I'll tell you what, it takes it takes dedication and consecration to be a person. Of prayer, but this incense altar was a type of prayer. It represents a prayer life. It's interesting of the pieces that we've been talking about: the altar, the laver, the candlestick, the uh, uh, the showbread table. Uh, of all the pieces that we've talked about, this incense altar was the smallest of the pieces. Which I think some symbolism here. You don't, you know, prayers don't have to be long and drawn out to be powerful. I've taught you that here over the last many weeks. But this, this incense altar brings you right up to the, as I said, to the smallest opening. It represented more discipline and dedication. And it got you ready to enter into the Holy of Holies, whereby you would be close to the presence of Almighty God. And see, that incense altar is a type of prayer. You see how prayer brings you right up, right up to the presence of God. Now, I want to make some observations. I want to share some observations that I've made over the years. I think this will be helpful to you. And listen carefully. Now that I've said all of that, listen to some of these these observations that I've made over the years as it pertains to what I've been talking to you about. As I've already stated, so many Christians, now Christians that truly born again people, so many Christians stay in the outer court from the time they get born again until they die and go to heaven and they never walk closely to God. They never move past the altar. They just thank God they repent. They come to the cross of Christ. They get saved, but they just stay in that outer court. So many like that. Don't let that be you. Now it beats going to hell. But I don't know about you, but I want to walk close, close to God. So then I've taught you, you know, get into the labor and so on and then move on in. But some observations. Now, 
Here's another observation. Some Christians go to the laver. So they get bored. They come through the gate of repentance. They get, they, they get, come to the cross of Christ. They come to the altar. They get, they get born again. Okay. And, and they do go to the labor. They do go to the word of God, but they stop there. They stop right there at the word of God. And they say something like this. I don't need to go to church. I read the Bible. I listen to teaching on various media outlets and radio or TV preachers. You know, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But so many, you know, they will get saved and they will get into the word of God. And they know the word of God and they ultimately they die and go to heaven, but they, they're never part of a local church. You know, they, they never have fellowship in the local church. And, and, and they, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is they, they, they get saved. They study the word. Thank God for it. But you can't get up close to the, to the presence of God unless you're hooked up with a local church, fellowshipping there and you're praying. Amen. So, so don't be the kind of a person that says, well, you know, I, I, I'm saved and I'm, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to just study the word of God at home and leave it there. Now, thank God for that. I mean, it, you're going to miss hell and make heaven and you're studying the word. So we're thankful for that. But if you want to be all that God wants you to be, you need to get hooked into a local church and, and fellowship there and be a person of prayer. And then and then and then let that get right up in front of the that, that place where the Ark of the Covenant is. And you go in there and that's where the presence of God is. But I've seen so many, they don't want to get hooked into the local church. Now, listen to this. Another observation I've made. Some Christians bypass. <laughs> now, now they, they come in, they repent, they come in the gate. They come to the altar, they get saved. Now, listen to this. I've seen a lot of people in this category. They bypass the labor. They bypass the word of God. They don't study the word of God. They don't really care that much about the word of God. And they, they go to the candlestick. They, they go to the, to the local church and they go for the showbread. They go for the fellowship. But did you know that church attendance and fellowship, as wonderful as they are, without the word of God is no more than being a member of a country club or some other social club. And boy, did I have my share of those over the years. My, my, my. I mean, I uh, had a lot of good people. Don't misunderstand me, but, 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 uh, uh, I remember, uh, one, and this happened frequently. We'd have our annual picnic, but it really jumped out at me one year when it was, it was time for the service to start. <laughs> and we had, we, it was time for the teaching of the word of God, worship and teaching of the word of God. And, and we, you know, and, and the sanctuary, I looked around the sanctuary and there was very few people in the sanctuary, but I, I, I noted back out, out under the overhang, we had a very large overhang there. There were, there, there were probably over, well over a hundred plus odd, you know, maybe 150 people out there. Uh, what in the world is going on? And they were all congregated out there around a barbecue grill and, uh, you know, and just talking and going on. And I'm not against, I mean, I just taught you, we need to have fellowship and all of that. But, 
You see, where people had a lot of trouble with me over the years is I tried to get them to see that, hey, let's have the barbecue, let's have the picnic, let's have the, the donuts and the coffee, let's have all that, but let's make that secondary. Let's put the Word of God first. And I tell you, I had a lot of people, a lot of people over the years that just didn't like that. And had a good number of people left the church over the years because they didn't like my take on that, my position on that. You know, they, they wanted the, the coffee and the donuts and, and this and that to, that's what one of the reasons a lot of them came. And, and I was just, I never gave in on that. And, and, uh, and, and I still don't. I still think that we should serve Jesus. At a church, we should serve Jesus, not donuts. And you know what I mean. We had the donuts. We had a lot of Krispy Kreme at our church, but it was always secondary to the Word of God. And a lot of people didn't like that. But if you, you know, you come through the gate, you come to the altar, you get saved, but you you want to bypass that labor, <laughs> and, and 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 you just want you know you just want the local church you just want it for the fellowship if you have that without the word of god you don't have anything much better than a just a country club you might as well just go join a country club and then listen to this another observation listen to this there are a lot of people in the land okay i'm talking to the united states now there's a lot of people maybe around the world too but there's a lot of people that go to the local church, they go to the candlestick and they go for the showbread, but they've never, listen, this is really tragic. At least the other people I was just talking about, at least they're saved. <laughs> at, least, at least they repented and believed on Jesus. There's a lot of people that have, and they, this happens every Sunday in this, in this, in the United States and probably around the world, probably, probably in Europe and other places. There's a lot of people that they come to church on Sunday. They've never come through the gate. They've never repented. They've never placed their faith in Jesus. They've never come to the altar. They've never, they don't want nothing to do with the labor. They just want to come for the fellowship. And they do that for their, the span of their lifetime. And they're essentially coming to a social club. But this group dies and goes to hell. Isn't that sad? One of the saddest things I've ever seen is people that go to church all their lives and they've never had a preacher preach to them that you must repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to get saved. And, and, and they never hear that message, yet they go to the church and the pastor's giving them some, you know, some, some banana split ser sermon or some philosophical sermon every week. <laughs> but they never preach to the people, repent, believe on Jesus. And so the people come and they, 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 they fellowship with one another and they're involved in the raffle and the this and the that and the bingo or whatever it is, the, whatever it is. <laughs> You know, they even, even maybe attend Sunday school or this or that, but they've never been preached the new birth and they, and they have a good social club, but they die and go to hell. Isn't that sad? And then I want to say this. Another observation I've made is there's few Christians who really do ever, I'm talking Christians now, people that are saved. They've, they've come through the gate. They've come to the altar. They've gotten saved. But very few Christians ever ever get to that labor. But even fewer yet go to that incense altar, which represents prayer. And you know how I know that? All you have to do is just you call a, you call for a prayer meeting, 
and see how many people show up and then call for a night of food and fellowship and see how many people show up to that. And you'll see real fast that a lot of Christians, they do not spend their time around that, that, that uh, altar of incense, which represents prayer. My, 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 my. And, uh, and then here's another observation I've made. There are Christians, really Christians, are born again, who go to the incense altar. They want to pray, but they want to bypass the labor. They don't want to uh, spend any time in the Word of God, yet they want to pray, and they wind up praying amiss since their prayers are not based on the Word of God because they want to bypass the labor and so they don't have the Word of God in them, but they want to pray, but their prayers, they pray amiss, and they're ineffective because they don't know the Word of God. My, 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 my. And, uh, and then I might, I might make another observation. Some Christians, I'm talking born again people, they really do go after the incense altar. And, uh, and, and they do include the labor. They do know the word of God to some, some degree, more or less. And, and, and they come to church and all of that. And that's good. But they don't ever want to fellowship. I've watched this over the years. They don't want to just fellowship with folks. They don't want to do that. They, and I've noticed these people, if you really get right down to it, you know, prayer, 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 prayer. They're always talking prayer all the time. Now, thank God for prayer. I'm all for it. I've been teaching on it for weeks and the importance of it. But I'm talking about these quote unquote prayer warriors. And thank God there are some people that are prayer warriors or these intercessors. And thank God there are intercessors. We taught you about that. And there's a healthy side to it. But I'm talking about people now that they've essentially made a God out of prayer. Do you know you can make a God out of anything? You can make a God out of prosperity. You shouldn't, but a lot have. You can make a God out of, uh, uh, you can make a God out of faith. Thank God for faith. You can't, you can't get saved without it. You can't please God without it. But, but I've watched people make a God out of the faith message. I've watched people make a God out of prayer. I believe in faith. I believe in prosperity. I believe in prayer. Let's just don't make a God out of these things. But on this subject today, I've watched people make a God out of prayer, 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 and, and prayer, 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 and they get lopsided, prayer, 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 and you have a church fellowship. They won't come to that, but, but you know, pray, 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 and thank God I'm not demeaning that, but I've noticed that a lot of these people are very, very, they're like floating on a cloud like spooky dookie and you just just they're so they're so prayer and heavenly minded that they're no earthly good and 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 not even good around a local church it's it's and a lot of times i've watched these people they'll go to every prayer meeting that pops up here and there they'll go to every bible study that pops up here and there but if you have a Bible study at the local church or, or, or a prayer meeting at the local church that's under good spiritual authority and leadership, those kind of people don't want to come to that. They want to go somewhere where they can, you know, kind of, kind of float around and, and, no, I tell you what, tell you what, be a person that repents and comes through the gate, comes to the altar, gets saved, gets into the word of God, studies the word of God, then comes into that holy place and, and you're involved in the church that God's told you to, the local church God's told you to be in fellowship there, be a person that prays in line with the word of God and get that all in balance and it'll bring you right up in, <laughs> into the place where you can walk into the holy of holies and and fellowship with with the creator of the universe. Praise God 
forevermore. Praise God forevermore. And, uh, and with that in mind, what I want to do now, and I said a whole lot there, you might have to listen to some of these things over and over again and meditate on them. But the good news is, is you can do that because you can, you got me on the, on the tape there. You can stop me and go back and listen and so forth. But, you know, uh, and if you really want to walk close to God, you have to do these things that we've talked about today. Repent, come to the altar, come to the labor, come to the candlestick, come to the showbread table, come to the altar of incense. You got to live holy. And I tell you what, if somebody's really doing those things, they will live holy. And the Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord or experience the Lord closely. Now, with that in mind, let us go to Acts 2, and I'll begin to close here. A little long here today, but it's all right. It's all right. If I'm talking too long, as I keep saying, just pause me and come back and finish me later. <laughs> but look at Acts 2. I mean, this is fascinating here. Fascinating what I'm about to share with you now in Acts, the second chapter. Watch how these few verses of Scripture tie this tent tabernacle all together. Now watch this. This is fascinating. Acts 2 verse 40. Now watch this. Acts 2 40. Peter had been preaching on the day of Pentecost and all of that. And it says in Acts 2 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then though, so he's preaching the gospel message. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3000 souls were added to the church. Okay. So what do we see here? He's preaching the gospel. We see that people, they were added to the church. So they, we can conclude that they repented. And so they came through the gate and they, 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 they came to the altar, the cross, the altar where the blood flowed and they believed on Jesus and they got saved. So there we have the gate and the altar in verse 41. Now look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. Now, what is that? That's the laver. That's the, that's the word of God, the apostles doctrine and fellowship. Okay. And fellowship in the breaking of bread. So right there, you know, they're a member of that local church there in Jerusalem because they were added to it. So you see the candlestick, the local church and the table. You see the fellowship, the showbread and in prayers. There's the incense altar. Then fear, what is that? That's reverence, that's holiness, came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. That's a result of being close to God in the Holy of Holies by the Ark of the Covenant where the power of God is. Can you say amen? So went through all that to show you how important prayer is and that incense altar, you know, you got to... <laughs> Prayer brings you right up. Did you see what I was trying to tell you today? You repent at the gate, the altar. I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you repent at the gate. And then you have that altar where the blood flows is the cross. And then the labor is the word. And then you go on as you move on up. You have the, the church attendance and fellowship. And that brings you right up. Be a person of prayer, the incense altar. And as you pray, then you're able to enter into the presence of God into where the Ark of the Covenant is. And, and glory to God. And you see in these verses right here in Acts 20, I'm sorry, in Acts, I'm sorry, in Acts 2 verses 40 through 43, you see the pieces, of, uh, you see the gate, you see the altar, the laver, the, the, the candlestick, the table, the incense altar. You see all that, the Ark of the Covenant. You see it all. See, 
in the church, that's, that's what it's all about, to get into the presence of God. I just can't say it enough. Repent. Believe on Jesus. Stay in the Word of God. Be in the local church. Serve there. Volunteer there. Fellowship there. Be a person of prayer and come on in where the power of God is. Glory to God. Now I'm going to close in Matthew 6 and then we'll be done with this series. Matthew 6 verse 5. This is a good verse to close with. The words of Jesus on prayer. Matthew 6 verse 5. He says, and when you pray, so be a person of prayer. Be a person, uh, be, be a person of that incense altar. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So don't be like them. Don't, don't let people clapping for you be your reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And I understand there's corporate prayer times that we pray together, but much of the time we pray and pray. He said, go in a room, close the door and pray. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. I've taught you over the last many weeks how to be in prayer, how to pray. So put these things into practice. Be a person of prayer. It'll bring you right into the presence and power of God. All right. If you're out there and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to get saved. Okay. I want to invite you to come through that gate. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Place your faith in him. Receive him. You'll get born again. Call on his name. Invite him into your heart. You'll miss hell. You'll make heaven one day. Glory to God. But don't stop there. Go on and get in the word of God. Get into that labor. Go on from there and, and let God show you where you're supposed to go to local church and fellowship there and be a person of prayer and experience the power of God. Well, we'll see you right back here next week. I'll be with my wife and we'll have a communion service with you. We look forward to seeing you then. God bless you. Bye-bye.